0: think like when you know deep in your soul that this I feel like it's my soul's purpose and I am I have found that and so I am thankful for the long route that I took because it has formed who I am as a midwife and who I am as a chiropractor and um, specializing more on like movement and core and pelvic floor and honestly movement as one of the biggest tools you have to navigate the transitions literally and figuratively of parenthood and pregnancy and so certainly not the traditional route to get here but super thankful that it happened this way um because it's just like I'm so passionate about it so I think in the long run it was really just it's my purpose
1: All right, well, welcome back to another episode of the Pay It Forward podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Keegan Walls, with my co-host, Austin Sewert. Uh, and today, we are privileged to be joined by Erica Boland, who is the... And I said your name, correct? Yes. No, <laughs> nailed it. Uh, who is the founder of Cooley Health uh, and Cooley Health Birth Collective. Her and her husband are both chiropractors, and she is also a licensed professional midwife. Perfect. <laughs> so yeah, thank you so much for coming on the on the show.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, we're we're super excited about this because believe it or not, Austin and I are both we consider ourselves birthing <laughs> pelvic floor experts, <laughs> and Great. so this was the one we were we were waiting for. So awesome! So I can learn from you guys. Yeah, I, I highly doubt that. Uh, but so random question right off the top: Do you know even like an approximation of like how many births you've helped out with or assisted?
0: I don't know an exact number which might sound a little bit ridiculous but I didn't where that comes from is I didn't keep exact track when I was a doula and I was a doula for 10 plus years um sometimes a little more active than others because I was also a doula through chiropractic school so that being said um at least 100 wow but I give or take
1: I mean that's incredible that's yeah. B- birth is, birth is magical. So I, I again, I, I know I opened, I'm not an expert at birth. I watched one. So yeah. close. Uh, but man, birth is very cool. So I'm actually I very, agree. I'm a- very excited to talk about this topic. And I think Perfect. first, first medical guest we've had, am I correct? I think so. Yeah. So very cool. Yeah. I think so. So, so you said doula, is that how you got your start? Did you start out being a doula first before being a chiropractor?
0: Uh, ish. So I took the long way around in many aspects. Um, My journey, I guess, really started when I had our oldest son at age 19. And so after I had him, it made me want to be a midwife because I wanted to do things differently, which is how I do things, I guess. Um, And then I got in nursing school and I didn't like it at all. I felt like I was learning how to medicate people um, and like take care of sick sick people. And at the time, I was young and also couldn't see that that was a stepping stone into midwifery for me. But my husband was in chiropractic school already. In high school, I thought I wanted to be a a chiropractor because I had been to one. I knew I just wanted to help people. Then I looked at how much schooling chiropractic would be, and I was like, absolutely not. (laughs) Um, But I found myself helping him study his work more than I was studying mine in nursing school. And uh, I'm sure he was, like, super thrilled when I told him I was going to switch and we were going to be in Mm -hmm. Iowa longer um, for me to start chiropractic school. And then when our second son was born, um, a midwife that's near and dear to me, she volunteered to be our doula at our second birth and that's how I learned what a doula even was and so it showed me that I could have the best of both worlds I could be a chiropractor and also attend births and support women the way that I was like this is how it should be that type of support that we experienced from her so uh, it was August of 2010 that I took our like three week old baby to a doula training with me and then started supporting people in chiropractic school. and um, yeah, so chiropractic and doula kind of happened at the same time. and because I transitioned out of midwifery or nursing school, yeah, yeah, so did,
1: did was that always a passion? because like for my wife, who used to be a nurse, she always grew up knowing she was gonna do something in the medical field, nursing. did you always know you're gonna do no, you didn't have that.
0: I knew I, like I said, I knew I wanted to help people, but I didn't ever feel like I wanted to be a nurse or I wanted to be in the medical field. It was just this, like, how do I help people? Yeah, Um, yeah. So,
2: can you explain the difference between a midwife and a doula? Yeah, don't know.
0: So, one word is responsibility. The doula is an amazing piece of the puzzle, and they are emotional and physical support and advocate they don't do anything medical and so their focus is really on supporting the mom or the mom and the dad the couple um from a like non-medical and also non like biased or emotionally attached place Mm -hmm. so one of the best my favorite parts of doula training was learning how much pressure is on the dad or partner to support the person that they love in a situation that they've often never been in. And, um, usually the masculine energy is wanting to fix it and take things away and you've got to go (laughs) through labor. (laughs) So it's pretty cool to see one of my favorite parts of being a doula was watching the couple work together with that sort of support and taking a little bit of pressure off the dad of knowing what to do or how to support. Um, so yeah, that, the midwife midwife is... is responsible for everybody's, um, physical well-being mom and baby making sure that they're doing well and so like all the prenatal visits and postpartum visits and listening to baby and labs for mom and um, a lot of education and thankfully for me because I practice in a community birth setting so home birth and eventually birth center birth I get to choose how much time I spend with my clients and uh, am able to provide that emotional support as well but um if you know as things come up with pregnancy or labor it's amazing to have a doula there that can really just focus on the support for the couple yeah very cool
1: yeah so so why did you choose to go like the private route with
0: With midwifery so community-based yeah you brought it
1: up a little bit like with your experience but why private verse like Public practice,
0: yeah. So, um, I actually in 2019 registered to take the MCAT. I studied for the MCAT, and then I was supposed to take it in March of 2020, and then that didn't happen. Mm -hmm. Um, it got pushed back, and in May of 2020, I supported a past or a doula client of mine, but I could not go into the hospital, doulas weren't allowed in the local hospitals at that time, and honestly in a lot of hospitals across the country. And I, there was a very pivotal moment for me when we, I drove them to the hospital, which was very close to delivery, and I pulled up and there was 10-ish people in full PPE, head to toe, like hats, glasses, masks, all of it. And I just realized that's not... This isn't how I want to practice, and this isn't how I want to support people. And I don't believe that birth is medical always. I believe that birth is um, occasionally needs medical support, but it just really helped me see that, okay, and ask, why am I, what am I doing this for? Why am I going to take this test and go through OB school? And the answer was to try to create change within the system because I, if I peeled the back, I was like, okay, I, I want to be able to have a bigger voice. And I was telling myself that I needed an OB degree in order to have that. Mm. And so I'm super thankful for that experience because it just stopped me in my tracks and made me reevaluate what it was I really wanted. And I knew even going through med school, if that would have been the route, that I would have eventually wanted to be in private practice anyway. So I'm sure you guys have had experiences before where you think like this is how I need to do this and then mm-hmm. higher powers give you a sign that that's not that's not yeah. the answer for you. Totally.
1: So yeah. And so what are some like the main differences with the private practice and the way that you are doing yeah. your Yeah birth collective? Yeah. Et cetera.
0: In comparison to the hospital births yeah. you mean? Yeah. A lot of it is policy. So um i do have a lot of flexibility for time like i said to spend with my patients or clients um and it is a really like warm welcoming slow-paced environment and the private practice part of that allows me that freedom um we've gotten really far in the united states to birth as a business or birth as a risk And like I said, I just, that's not what I truly believe. Um, And also thank God we have those resources because sometimes they are needed. But I'm able to have conversations with people and like, you know, of course there are different aspects of their care that might indicate that they do need to have their baby in the hospital, whether it's mom's health or baby's health. But 80% of birth doesn't need any sort of intervention or help and 20% of the time we do and less than 5% of the time is that actually a medical emergency. Um, There's a lot of interventions that happen in the hospital that create medical emergencies out of birth and uh, sometimes that's hard to talk about and it can be hard for people working within the system to really swallow. But I think here locally, thankfully, we have... A lot of amazing providers in both hospitals, and they're working within a system that is largely medicalized and based on risk and um, litigation, litigation risk particularly. Yeah. So,
1: so what? So what are some misconceptions? Because you you mentioned like home birth. Yeah. As somebody who is, I'm gonna, as as afraid of home birth. Yeah. And we've had the discussion of home birth. Like, what are some misconceptions? Because to me, it's a, uh, I'm just going to put this out here. Yeah, there, that's there's fine. There's two things. One, it's scary. Two, I kind of do want the luxury, like, I don't know, there's something like less romantic about having a child at my home. It's like, I kind of do want the, like the free food. Like the stay in the hospital. Fantastic. I am so my wife it. is going to watch this, like the real truth is like- I want somebody like to take care room. of me. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm to get a free
0: hotel room. Like, and that's that is okay. The main <laughs> you have that choice, right? Yeah. Like that's okay. It's okay to admit that. There's nothing wrong with that. Um. Okay, sorry. To go back to what <laughs> what your question, yeah, your specific uh, like, question was. Oh, misconception. On, on the home birth, yeah. Um, have you ever heard, there's a Jim Gaffigan skit that I can watch over and over again, and it's just as funny every time because he has, I think, five or six kids and they do home birth. I so there's think. this mis- misconception that it's, like, dangerous or scary, but also there's these, like, hippie midwives that just show up and irresponsibly catch babies in the field or, like, <laughs> the back of a bus or whatever, and... and uh, there's people in my family close to me that would call me a hippie midwife and that's just (laughs) fine but we actually are trained in emergency um and we're also trained to fear birth as a society so it's yeah it's like breaking down where that really comes from at the end of the day we're all we're mammals right so mammals animals in the wild will shut down their labor if they are in fear of danger, like an actual threat. As higher thinking brain humans, we process actual and perceived threat the same so we can shut our own labor down, but we hold on to things longer than like, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever animal you want to think of, once they're out of danger, they just proceed. They don't hold on to the like, what if this, what if this? Um, And I think that if you start to research research why we are where we are with birth or the history of childbirth in America. Uh, We've been having babies a lot longer than birth has been largely happening in the hospital, Um, but we're not irresponsible about it. Of course, there are probably um, professional midwives or community-based midwives that are more responsible than others, but that's no different than doctors in the hospital or, you know, it's it. that's with anything. So I think a lot of the misconceptions is that in one of the most common questions is what if something happens to my baby? And I wish I could tell you that if you have your baby in the hospital that we can guarantee you that nothing will go wrong, but that's certainly not the case. And I think that we're seeing more and more research that shows us that outcomes really aren't looking that great for us in the hospitals in our country either. And it's not not um, even speaking for babies, but for moms. Mm-hmm. Our maternal outcomes are awful um, for what we spend on childbirth and the access that we have in a developed country. Our maternal outcomes are sad. So I just think that um, there needs to be a different standard to care from preconception through postpartum and looking at everything as like the entire experience as important instead of just how did how does the labor go how is the baby there's just so much more to it than that but that's mm-hmm. the part that we get focused on um and it, it it isn't easy when something happens negative to a baby or to a mom but um i think like as long as we can have those conversations openly and be prepared for them as possible so with my clients, we can we create a transfer plan just in case. We have an emergency plan just in case. And we talk about all of those things. Um, and so we have medications with us for mom. We have oxygen. We're trained in resuscitation for mom and baby. We're trained in how to handle shock if that comes up. And the majority of the time, we don't need any of it um, because the more natural that we let things progress typically than more natural that things actually mm-hmm. progress so,
2: so from somebody who knows nothing about this and has yeah. not had a baby um well, it sounds physically well not physically but Thanks. my wife has not had a baby yet okay um it sounds like it's more of the environment that you're creating like the environment you talked about how like an animal will will not go into labor if they're in danger or they fear danger so you're saying like the the overwhelmingness of the hospital and the people in suits with glasses and covid and like yeah. that that the environment ET that they're in yeah. yeah yeah which like, is
0: thankfully not ha- versus the not environment that anymore. you
2: create at your practice is yeah a big differentiator
0: for sure and like you said some people really truly aren't comfortable with having a baby in their home either for whatever reason you know that we could talk about that for um different reasons as well but Yeah, it is like where you feel the most safe and supported, actually the most safe and supported is likely the most ideal place for you to give birth as long as everything is going well. Um, And most people that at the end of the day is like within the environment that they're comfortable with. And your home is often that. So there isn't a transition of location or a change of staff. um, And it's just like yeah, there's not the bright lights and the monitors and there's a little, it's a little more relaxed and laid back and not only during birth, but during your prenatal and postpartum experience as well. So,
1: yeah. So, so what does the, the, the schooling for becoming a midwife, how long, how long is that? What's that schooling like? I, because again, maybe that's part of like people's fears. They don't really understand what a midwife yeah. is because it's not like getting a real estate license. Like that's a 75 hour course. I doubt yeah. it's like, oh, you just get a certification and it's. Yeah. Go do births.
0: Right. So the route that I took is a two-year degree. And almost the entire time you're in, you're doing clinicals like training in the field, which is, I, I guess I learned best that way anyway, is hands-on. Um, but you're in it and you're learning alongside uh, other more experienced midwives. There's a certain number of hours that you need to births that you need to get, prenatal appointments that you need to attend, postpartum appointments that you need to attend. And then um, I went and got my degree at Southwest Tech in Fenimore, Wisconsin, which just worked out really conveniently for me because I have family close by there. Um, But their their requirements are, they're certified, so they are also more of the broad, like, national requirements. Um, And the midwives that you train with need to be credentialed in order to be preceptors is what they're called for you. And so there's also a lot of um, like didactic work. Thankfully for me, I had done a lot of that in chiropractic school. And a lot of it too is just learning how to, you know, like bedside manner and patient care, which also I had a lot of experience with that going in, thankfully. So I think um, that that helped me navigate even hard experiences that I had as a student with births to just how to support people and be with them in that journey. Um, And it's not for the faint of heart, not only for the student, but for my family. Uh, I say all the time it takes a village, but it is a lot because you're on call. And um, I would travel each Tuesday morning, I'd drive to Boscobel, and then I'd stay the night at my grandparents, and then Wednesday, I'd be in Prairie to Chien at the birth center, and then I'd have to up and leave whenever a baby was born. Um, so I was on call through all of that as well. So for me, it took two, the two full years, which is kind of a minimum. You have to be in training for that long. And for others, it took longer than that. Because I can't imagine having not done as much didactic work as I had beforehand and also going through clinicals at that time. So I think it was a little easier for me in that regard. And that's why it didn't take me extra than the two year because it's technically an associate's degree. So, yeah, I got my doctorate and then my associate's.
1: <laughs> yeah, let's talk about that. Your your journey is is not uh, typical. I mean, because yeah. you got your chiropractor. Like most people are like, look, I'm a chiropractor. I'm good. Like, I'm done. So, like, what was it, like, your passion for, like, midwife? Or what was it that kept you going? Yeah. And why you took the route you did?
0: I think just being able to combine my passions and my hats together and really, um, I feel like midwifery found me, I guess. And it just wasn't at all what I thought it would look like, which is typical for most people's stories. Um... But yeah, I it isn't like I'm unhappy in chiropractic practice because I absolutely love it, but I really felt called to that next step. And then mentors around me encouraged me and I did a lot, a lot, a lot of soul searching to see and, and different experiences to see if that's really, really what I wanted to do. And um, it's really honestly like Cost investment wise, in comparison to chiropractic school, is so minimal that it felt that part felt a little easier. And the time commitment is expensive for myself and my family. But it just, I think, like when you know deep in your soul that this, I feel like it's my soul's purpose. And I am, I have found that. And so I am thankful for the long route that I took because it has formed who I am as a midwife and who I am as a chiropractor. And um, specializing more on like movement and core and pelvic floor and honestly movement as one of the biggest tools you have to navigate the transitions literally and figuratively of parenthood and pregnancy. And so certainly not the traditional route to get here, but super thankful that it happened this way um, because it's just like I'm so passionate about it. So I think in the long run, it was really just it's my purpose.
2: Hmm. Yeah, I have a question back on the midwife topic. Yeah. So for a couple, married couple who is expecting to have a baby and they don't know where they want to have it, what yeah. they would want to do, like how would you counsel them in sharing what their options are and making that decision?
0: Yeah, so um, I would first encourage them to meet with providers at the hospital, meet with myself, meet with other local midwives. This is like one of the most intimate and magical experiences that you will go through. And no matter how things go, it completely transforms you as a human. Um, So I think it's like it is so important that your team, you feel supported by your team. And just the uh, permission to ask questions, I guess in a way that I never knew I had when I was 19 years old and going to have our first baby. I just kind of like did, that's what you do. You go to the hospital, you do what they say on the timeline that they say, and they know best. So you follow their recommendations all the way through the end. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just think when you can be in a place of curiosity and Mm -hmm. surrender, it will lead to a more peaceful outcome no matter how your birth goes, because then you're empowered to make choices every single step of the way. And there are so many more choices than hospital policy allows us to think that there are. Um, so when people meet with me first, I ask them what interests them about home birth and you know, have they have anyone close to them that has experienced this and all those things. And then I get curious about where they're at with things and encourage them to start exploring. And then again, like recentering how do you want this experience to feel for you? And for some people, that is home birth or birth center. And for others, it is hospital. And I think it's important that we respect that, but that we be more op- open to all of the options for them.
2: And from a what are the differences from a cost standpoint?
0: Yeah. You're um, talking to the finance here. Yeah. This is good. My sister will be comfortable with me sharing this because she gave me permission before. So, I used her as an example. She had her second son in the hospital unmedicated. We she pretty much showed up and had a baby and okay. So, her care was 28,000. It's not what they had to pay out of pocket because they they have insurance. Yeah. I think she said they ended up needing to pay like 8,000. So for care with me, midwifery care and this isn't just me, this is also about the standard in the like greater southwest Wisconsin a- area is around 5500 total. So that's prenatal through postpartum for mom and baby. Um there's like different thing, you know, ultrasound cost. We now have options locally. The Cooley Diagnostics and Radiology is right in West Salem that does an ultrasound for less than $400 and just so much more affordable options. So it is significantly less um, than it does depend on your insurance. So depending, uh, I don't, I'm not in network with any insurances, but I work with a biller who can check and see if your insurance will cover it. And she's the guru at using the right verbiage to help insurance companies understand what coverage looks like and whatnot. So yeah, it's, It's a lot more expensive to have. It was more expensive for her to use the rooms for labor and postpartum than it would have been for entire care
1: Mm.
0: out of hospital. Hmm. It's wild. It is
1: wild. For the guy that wants to go there, so that's an expensive hotel. (laughs) (laughs) And honestly...
0: I wasn't going to say anything.
1: Aren't Twenty-eight thousand dollars worth. <laughs> yeah, some of the medical equipment, maybe. But,
0: but some matter. people, um, I'm a big advocate for. If you want your kids at birth, have them there. We had all all of our boys have been at the subsequent births, but that doesn't work for everyone. And some people have kids at home, and they're like, "I don't, I'm not going to be able to relax here," or you know, whatever the mm-hmm. situation may be. Um, it isn't for everyone, but I think that it's a much more reasonable option than what it is known for
1: hmm. yeah there's a lot of uh stigmas with the with the home birth yeah right? yeah it's scary yeah. like you said yeah yeah the, the
0: hippie ladies
1: are just coming into
0: uh-huh. <laughs> oh, yeah. so. with our first home birth so we had two hospital births and then two home births and with our first home birth there ended up being three midwives there just for fun um and the one i had not met before. And she walked in. She actually just passed away this last year, and she was what you would picture as a hippie midwife. Like her grandmother trained her in the Appalachian Mountains how to be a midwife, right? So she walks into my house, tank top, no bra body hair, skirt, big, big, big <laughs> Ziploc bag of herbs. And I was like, yes. And my husband was probably like, what is happening? And I'm just like, like this whatever. is fantastic. But you look
1: up midwife in the go. dictionary. She Yeah, was a-
0: yeah. <laughs> exactly. Awesome. She was, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She is great.
1: So what are the some of the, the focuses that you have in terms of, because I know you're obviously as a midwife, um, but just like you know, creep on your social media a little bit. Like mm-hmm. so passionate about mom and baby, specifically mom, but like you said, like not just at the birth event. Yeah. Like birth is all encompassing. Like yeah. it's pre-birth, like trying to get pregnant. And it's the pregnancy and then the birth and then post. Like yeah. what are what are some of the like the big things that like you do, you advocate for, and then um just like why your passion for it?
0: I think we can change a lot of birth outcomes with talking more about nutrition and movement. Um, and I obviously have extensive training in that as a chiropractor, but like being able to bring that into the birth space really excites me because there's so much that can happen positively for conception, but also just feeling good and maintaining health during pregnancy and during labor in all, in my mind, is like, this is all in preparation for postpartum healing. That's the part that lasts the longest and gets the least amount of attention in our country. Like, absolute should be flipped on its head. And so when we talk about the way that you can reconnect and move with your body, that helps you mentally. It helps you physically, spiritually, emotionally. So we can just do so much with, and then I get even more depth into core and pelvic floor work. And um how we can help women really feel empowered in that area of their body where this is like you know your your pelvis and your pelvic floor as a woman there's a lot of societal shames that come and are like pressured around that and even just learning more about your body in that way so i would say that that's probably one of the pieces that ties my worlds together and also is a big difference in how i offer care and just looking at what should nutrition really look like for mom so that she's not depleted. The most common time that we see actual postnatal depletion is four years postpartum, which is That's like wild. mind-blowing mm-hmm. for people. But by that time, there's usually another baby. Micronutrients are depleted. Sleep is depleted. We don't allow for time for women to slow down in this country. So we have to like be really intentional and create that for ourselves. And I think that that starts with education, either preconception or prenatal. Otherwise, the postpartum time period can just steamroll a family. So, yeah, that's
1: that's really good. Yeah, and that's crazy. Four years.
0: Yeah, like, it and, is. It makes sense. Like, especially right. With
1: statistically, probably like the majority have another baby too. Yeah. Yep. And then there is so much of that. Like, man, moms are incredible. My wife is incredible. Like, because it is like there's like. Husbands like it, we we try to help and do the best we can, but right? Baby's first born, like I can't feed it very well, right? Yeah, I can try all I want, but yeah, it's just not great, right? (laughs) I'm not producing. It would be
0: great if every if we could follow other countries' roles where a woman has an entire year paid postpartum and then an optional second year unpaid, but but it's hard for us to even wrap our heads around that. And, um, yeah, I just, I get so excited when I hear that families are choosing more than just like six, eight, 10 weeks at home. And I know that that's not everyone's reality, unfortunately, because of how things are set up. But I have seen, oddly enough, one of the areas that I, I have been hearing has changed more is paternal leave, Mm -hmm. but that's huge for you. Like, I know that you can't feed the baby, et cetera, but. Being able to do the other little things so that that's all that she has to do is a really big deal. So I'm glad to see that that's at least starting to change a little bit.
1: Yeah, because one of my friends who's – they're expecting, yeah, he gets paternal leave. And I said, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, luck- luckily for me, I was I was in real estate at the time we had Yeah. This. So it's like I really can yes. take time off. I can yes. make up my own paternal leave. Um, But, yeah, I mean – even just going back like as the dad like it was always my dream i've talked on the show before of like my dream was to be a dad i cannot wait That's so and funny. so like that match like that moment when you get to go home you have a little bit of that like they just left us with him like what? i don't know <laughs> i don't know what i'm doing right. <laughs> um but then part of that like like the magic of when you bring him home and like he's in your house like this is our child like that's my baby right there and yeah. you don't want to go back to work yeah and so for moms even more right like it's just way different, right? Yeah. I, I, we just, I guess this will air. I think we've announced it, so we're expecting another one in May. Woo! Um, <laughs> but we just had like the ultrasound, um, like the the twenty week one. Yeah. And that's, like that's, like that's my favorite part because that's okay. like okay, I I don't really get to see baby. Like, yeah. You, you start to feel baby, but like that's like the last time I see him until he really comes until yeah. I get to meet him like face to face. And so, like, that's a super cool time for dad. But for mom, like, you're so literally connected and yeah. the baby's there and you're feeding. And then after post, you're feeding too. Like, it's just a unique, yeah, it's a unique bond. Definitely. Um, And so, yeah, for moms, I mean, postpartum, to be able to have time, um, more time, because that time just goes so quick. Yeah, it it's does. It's such a special, it's so, I mean, you can't even put it into words unless you add right. a kid. Like, it's the most incredible thing, like, Having my sons the greatest joy I've ever had, yeah. right? So um, definitely needs to be more advocates for for moms and just birth in general. Yeah. Definitely neglected.
0: Yeah, I at, think so too.
2: At what point in the journey should someone reach out to you, Erica, to start conversations?
0: Um, I mean, I think the earlier the better to have those conversations just so that they can have time to meet with other providers and things too and really see what they need. But it's also... Not ever too late, I guess, to, to transition to a different provider. I would say if you're really feeling uncomfortable in any sort of situation in your life, certainly start asking questions. Um, but usually, like, second trimester is typically the latest. There are some scenarios where we get transfers of care in third trimester. But it's it's so important. The relationship that's developed over the pregnancy is really important, for not only for the couple, but also for us as providers, as the midwife, um, to get to know them well enough and know how, you know, their hopes and their desires for this, but also get to know them well enough that we know if something's different and how they're doing mentally and physically and all of that. So, um, I just had a consult today with a woman that's not pregnant yet and is just doing some research for herself on the options out there. And I'm just like, (laughs) <laughs> oh, my
2: gosh. I wish I would have, you
0: know, like if I would have had access to that information um, before I had babies. But it is typically something that propels us to learn more. So, mm-hmm. yeah.
1: Very cool. And so then you also you also speak a lot. Like, is this kind of like what you speak on? Like Because I know you're a speaker. Yeah,
0: I teach. Yes, I travel and teach. So I teach on core and public floor largely. I used to travel a lot more, and then I was teaching. Now I'm teaching mostly chiropractors, midwives, PTs. Um, At the time, it was all birth workers about different stages and standards of prenatal through postpartum care. Um, And I just, I absolutely love it because, one, I always learn something when I'm teaching, And just being able to bring collaboration into the room was my favorite part about that because I think like, you know, we can circle around the wagon and point fingers in on who's doing what wrong and who should be doing what better. But if we're actually going to have patient-centered care, it means we're collaborating with one another and respecting the patient's choices, even when they're not the choices that we would make, even when they make us uncomfortable. So um, a lot of that too comes to teaching about collaborative care. And so I'll teach for my alma mater for Palmer Chiropractic College, and I've everything from um, care of pediatric milestones and movement milestones in kids to core and public floor to collaborative care amongst different providers or within the profession. And, yeah, I just really like to bring people together to encourage them to keep you know, there's other options out there. I don't hardly use anything in chiropractic that I learned in school. All of it was outside, really? continuing education. Hmm. So, speaking of an expensive hotel room. <laughs> <laughs> <There you go. laughs> but yeah, so I'm pretty passionate about bringing the information to people that I didn't learn in school that I think should have been basic information hmm. learned in school. So, yeah. how, how have you seen it,
1: like the combination of all that you do? Like benefit the the your your patient, right? Not just being a midwife, yeah, but also being a chiropractor. chiropractor. Then you guys have the fitness thing, which I'm sure we'll get to
0: for sure. So I would say a better core and pelvic floor outcomes in the long in the long term, and then um, more confidence and curiosity in their care, taking a forward role and advocating for themselves. And just really giving them space to ask questions and realize that that's what they should expect from any provider on their team. Any person on their birth team is someone that's working with them during pregnancy or postpartum or birth. And I, I see a lot of really cool things happen for people when they realize like, oh, okay, I can do things a little differently or ask questions and figure out what I really want. Out of my health which i think just really starts to peel layers of the onion back for people in um living their best life and becoming the parent that they want to be and then like leading by example for their children and it's just so much more than what happens within perinatal care or within a chiropractic visit
2: yeah so again somebody doesn't know you keep saying core and pelvic floor yeah can you explain what that is and what sure. you do sure
0: absolutely so and men have a public floor too, so let's <laughs> be perfect. Let's be perfect. Okay, so I traveled to Prague in Czech Republic in 23- October of twenty thirteen. I was going to see to um, Shadow care for children with cerebral palsy or different movement delays and developmental delays, and instead I ended up working largely with women's health, which is what really pivoted my role as a chiropractor. And I was like, we are doing, we are so backwards with what we're doing in the U.S., which was very aesthetic-based, like single muscle group activation, Kegels and abs. And it's, that is just feeding into a dysfunctional core. So when I say core, I mean everything from your neck to your pelvic floor. Mm. And a lot of the work that I do is starts with the diaphragm and starts with your breath. Um, One of the gurus that I love and has been super influential to me says, if your breath is not normalized, no other movement can be. And I really truly believe that. Mm. So our diaphragm communicates with our pelvic floor. And when you think about your core, it isn't just your abs or your six pack that looks good. It's all the muscles in the front, the side body and the back. So I teach people how to use that well. Again, you watch a baby from birth. Honestly, even before birth until a year to 15 to 18 months old, nobody has to teach them to do crawling, walking, sitting. They will do that all on their own pending. There's no neurological disruption if we let them, if we don't put them in baby orthopedics and things like that. Mm. They'll do it pretty well and develop more foundational function instead of compensation, right? So it's within us. We just... Are stuck behind a desk at age five. Um, we're on screens all the time. We carry all of our stress in our neck and in our pelvic floor, and so we just create. Be back to full circle back to like the human higher thinking brain. We create so much tension and also dysfunctional or inopportune patterns and habits that. We can use our basic fundamental movements to remind ourselves and like it's really a lot of brain work and how your body was made to move. And when I when we do that, we have better pelvic floor outcomes. We have better activation of the full core, which for someone that lifts and works out, like you said, like we were talking about earlier, means that you're likely less, um, at less risk for injury because you're using your body really well and you're using all of it. Instead of just only pulling from the front and the back. And a lot of fitness programs really work in the sagittal plane. So I bring people back into all three planes of motion. And I would love to tell you that it's all physical. But something that I learned when I brought back. So I brought these principles that I learned there. And created the functional progression sequence. Which has helped hundreds of women and men. Um, which is just absolutely amazing, but it's simply the way that we were designed to move. And, you know, when I came back from Prague, I was like, how am I going to help everybody learn this? Like everybody, and, and thankfully, I traveled the country teaching and I got the opportunity to do that, which is so humbling. And then in my practice, starting to have patients work through this, people were crying. Like we start these movements and then they're crying. And I started to realize, oh my gosh, we also store so much emotion in our body that when you start to reconnect to your core and especially your pelvic floor, which is like your powerhouse and your like root chakra, if you want to get into that and like your foundation, um, it brings a lot up for people. So I started to see the like opening in those ways for people as well. And I think that the mental, emotional, spiritual side of healthcare is still really overlooked. So it's been kind of cool to see how uh, that they taught me, like, hey, this isn't just about going through these movements. It's also about really just being comfortable reconnecting to areas of your body that you've been largely subconsciously disconnected to for so long. And pelvic floor dysfunction looks different in men and women because we have different anatomy. Um, But can can also look the same. And so it isn't just if you look up research, you're going to find incontinence and prolapse. But it's more than that. It's, um, you know, change in sexual function. It's pain. It's back pain. It's pubic symphysis pain. It can even be like jaw tension and headaches because our whole body is connected. So we have to start looking at the system, the body as a whole, instead of just like the whack-a-mole and then especially in the postpartum realm, there hasn't really been anybody that's taken full responsibility for pelvic floor and core care. And then patients get frustrated when they don't get the right answers from their OBs or their midwives, but they're not musculoskeletal experts. So that goes back to us collaborating and helping. It's my job to help an OB as a, as a chiropractor understand how they can help their patients or to collaborate with if they don't have time to do that or can't take time to do that in their own appointment so it it really truly is just going back to the basics of movement and it isn't something that like hey you do this functional progression for six weeks and you'll be good it's like no we we need to continue to practice moving this way and like getting down on the floor our kids are perfect examples of it so if you have children get down on the floor and play with them and try to move like they do it's pretty humbling
2: So are these movements like similar to yoga type movements or... More um, strength movements or what? I would Explain say it's maybe like
0: a more. combination. It's not a... uh you so mentioned you can root find chakra.
2: Them. The only time I've heard that is in yoga <laughs> class.
0: Oh. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, we could get really into the weeds. <laughs> so you can find them. So if you go to cooliehealth.com in our movement library, the first link the link is the functional progression. Okay. So you can find them there. And it really is a, uh, a sequence of four different movements and then a full flow of them. So I guess you would probably relate it more to a yoga type flow. And my recommendation, we use this in our gym, is um, to use it as a warm-up because then again, you're communicating brain to body. This is the system that I need to come into this workout with me. Hmm. And when I hit a fail point or that adaptive gap, then at the end of the workout, I remind, like this is how we go throughout the rest of the day. And that's how we gain um, strength endurance balance from a really solid foundation instead of a foundation of compensation so hey. yeah
1: so so now this i'm starting to connect some dots is this how you got your name the movement mid-word?
0: yes is that self-proclaimed or is yeah that, okay i just thought of it one like i get these like pings or downloads and i right. thought of it i was like this
1: movement, this works it's got a nice mm. it's got a nice ring it's just all i get well, like it. it's an alliteration there we I mean, go what more could you ask for
2: So can you give me an explanation of what the root chakra is?
0: Um, Okay, so root chakra is like area in your pelvis that is, you could think of it as like um, your, I want to say grounding, but realistically like your safety base. So it is where you will have disruption. So you can, if anything in your basic needs is disrupted, you can experience pelvic floor dysfunction. Part of that is physical and part of that is more mental, emotional, right? So like house, relationships, food, water, those sorts of things, um, that is where that power is. And then as women, because we create life in that space, uh, even more, I guess I would say sacred or magic, um, spiritual. So there are different you know, whether it's trauma or societal shame or just um personal discomfort, we can become so disconnected from that area and it gets um yeah, left out of the equation from health. So I think that doing some foundational breath work, like full core breathing, when we talked about breathing into your front, back and side bodies what a core your core really means, not just belly breathing, but breathing into that full space brings more awareness and energy into that space that helps with physical and emotional outcomes and yeah
2: hmm. very cool hmm
0: I'm not cool. I'm not the expert on root chakra there are people that yeah. you could have here to dive further into that much better than I can but yeah yeah.
2: I know. I mean, I went to a Tony Robbins seminar. Oh, He's huge sweet. on breathing. Yeah, and he did a bunch of breathing exercises at the seminar. Yeah, everyone's passing
1: off because they're breathing too heavy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's the difference of life and death, and it's yeah. like the first thing that happens when you're born, and it is a tool that we under underlook, and it is one of our biggest tools to help downregulate our system in any given state of stress, whether it be birth or going into the gym for a first time or a place where you haven't met these people, somewhere where you haven't met people for the first time, you know that feeling of like, what What do you do? Just breathe. But you've got to intentionally do that and give yourself the space in those stimuli to create more peace and like that sense of safety.
2: Mm. I have a question for you. So there's kind of a fad going around of earth grounding. Oh, of taking off your shoes and literally going and standing on the ground with yes. bare feet to me it sounds a little out there but right. like is that is that something that
0: i mean there's good you... research okay tell, tell, me more you... it.
2: tell me more about it
0: so i mean r- realistically um everything is energy right and mm-hmm. so when we and when we connect with nature do you feel better when you connect with nature Like, think about hunting. Okay. Okay. Perfect. So, if you're standing on asphalt or cement outside, or you're standing in the woods, what feels better to you? Me in the woods. Okay. Right. So, when we put ourselves in environments like that more often, we improve health outcomes. And so, some people be like, oh, it's placebo. Is there any risk involved? Yeah. I, when we talk about placebo versus. Um, like the control, if it works, it works. But I'm a pretty big advocate for getting out in nature, like get your feet in the grass. We're just so disconnected from nature now. Everything is virtual and, you know, like little kids, free play. There's so much research about little kids being barefoot and free play with that way. So um, it's so amazing that you bring this up because my husband and I were just talking about this last night. He was listening to a podcast and i'm going i'm not going to remember the guy's name um but it was on the joe rogan podcast okay. i just can't remember the guy that he that the guest
2: was it uh gary brecca yes
0: yeah so what a name. perfect <laughs> pull that right yeah <laughs> see i love when stuff like that happens yeah so anyway, he was talking – was. we were just talking about this because he's like, yeah, he has this $132,000 mat that you can lay on or you just walk outside. And so when you look at the research on grounding, it's there. And when you look at the research on getting direct sunlight to your eyes in the first, like, hour of waking and your circadian rhythms, it all comes back to um, really improved health outcomes both physically and mentally – and so you're probably a little more hippie than you think you are if yeah. you're like, oh, yeah, yeah I'm put for me it. in the woods. <laughs> so I am supposed
1: to look directly at the sun. Yeah. I've always told my whole life I'm not supposed to.
0: Have you so, ever known anyone that's gone blind from that? Actually, I, I actually would like to know because I've been wanting. I know. No.
2: I bought this alarm clock okay. that wakes me up yep. with light, yep. the, the hatch alarm clock. Yep. It's a game changer. Yes. Like it's. Unbelievable the difference that I experience waking up in the morning versus uh, uh, right uh, is at five thirty in the, the morning. Adult thing because no, it's Atticus an adult has thing. As a hatch, it's hatch baby is a it, deal, could, but they have an adult yeah. alarm clock. Yeah, just check. But it's it especially in the winter when it's dark until For sure. eight o'clock and you wake up and it's cold out and you have to go work out go out right. to work out and like. But when this light, it wakes me up over like a period of whatever you set, forty five minutes, yeah. half hour, and yes. then it's a nice sound to wake me up and it's light in my room when I wake up and sometimes I'll wake up a little bit like before and I know that I'm gonna have to get up it's like it's just more of a natural awakening than that hard alarm clock and it's unbelievable the difference it's not a cheap alarm clock no highly recommend
0: um but you're paying for healthcare because you're you are maintaining a little bit more I mean obviously like if we were going to be right on with seasons you would. Be waking when the sun comes, yeah, it's just not real, reality yeah. either. Um, but you're maintaining a little bit closer that circadian rhythm, which this is getting a little bit into the weeds, but it affects your hormones and your hormones affect everything. Mm. So, yeah, hey, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: that's all awesome. else. We didn't, I mean, we didn't even get to talk about like coolie hell, okay. like all that your business, we didn't talk anything business or whatever, but it was an incredible, an incredible chat and it just... So, this yeah. was really good. It, it yeah. Really, Really, really uh, in, insightful and again, like not a conversation that we've obviously ever had on this podcast. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just very insightful and a lot of fun. So just wanted...
0: Yeah. I Thanks mean, our thing is me. to
1: help people live more of a well-rounded, successful life other
2: okay. than finances and business and entrepreneurship. So like, I mean, this fits right in with it. So yeah. it's a message people need to hear. Yeah. Being healthy, that's... Yep. That's success, and, that's... and I think through the past three years and COVID and like seeing what is going on in the healthcare system and who is bought and paid for. And I think people are opening up their minds to alternative options.
0: I see that too. Um, Beyond just like the bubble that I live in. And I think too, it's um, for me with, I guess more so with our boys, but one thing that I hope that people take away that know more about my journey is that there is not any, Straight path and mm-hmm. um, your degree doesn't. Nec- your degree doesn't make or break you, right? And yeah. so you can have a doctorate and you can switch directions and really following where your heart is and um, listening to that call makes such a. I think a big difference in my personal health too, and then for those around us. So I appreciate what you guys are doing yeah. because I think it's really cool for people to have access to more information and in all aspects in that regard. So,
2: and where could people go up. to find out more about you?
0: Um, so my Instagram is at the movement midwife or our Cooley health is at Cooley underscore health and then Cooley health, birth as well. So awesome. Thanks yeah. yeah, thanks thank you for being here. Yeah. Thanks for having so me much. guys.
1: Hey everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in. We sincerely hope that you learned something today and as always, We appreciate your support and hope that you can all find a way this week to pay it forward.